0: Welcome to another episode of the New York Comedy Club podcast. I am your host, Nick Angelo, joined again by the boss, Emilio Savone. Emilio, how are you, buddy?
1: Yo, yo, Nicholas. I am doing fantastic.
0: That's well, it's always good to hear. And as always, we are brought to you in part by Paper House Network. Before we get started, check out this cool show from Paper House Network.
2: Hey y'all, it's Amy from the Pink Among Men podcast. I know you are really, really busy with your sourdough starter and your fourth rewatch of The Office. So it's totally cool if you don't have time for an informative perspective bending podcast right now. But if you do have a few minutes to spare in your jam packed schedule, I want to offer Pink Among Men for your consideration. Pink Among Men is a weekly conversation on different perspectives, gender, and marginalization in the creative community. We chat with actors from shows you watch, directors who make movies that you want to watch, and comedians from stand-up shows that you'll probably never watch, but you should. Every Wednesday, they sit down to talk about the tragedy and the triumph that comes with not being a white dude in arts and entertainment. You probably don't have time for it, but maybe subscribe so you can listen when you're a little less busy. Get Pink Among Men on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're a proud member of the Paper House Network.
0: All right, we are joined today by one of my favorites, Chuck Nice. Mr. Chuck Nice, how are you, buddy? Thanks for doing this.
3: Well, hey, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. What's happening? How you doing?
0: Uh, uh, hanging how, in how's there. How,
3: how's prison? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah you know i feel like i feel like like we should have like yeah i know look at nick your prison is beautiful man yeah
0: i got (laughs) a i got a zoom background of a blowing palm tree because you know the room i am in is a typical new york closet aka apartment uh and i need to see some sort of fresh air somewhere
3: let me tell you, I spent a lot of time in the Caribbean, and I've never seen a blowing palm tree. I would go back more often if palm trees blew me, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, and so, we're so, off. All so right, instead, here we go.
2: Instead
1: of the palm trees. He's got to. He's got to just uh, be resorted to the wait staff. Uh, uh, but,
3: <laughs> but,
1: but but that that was that was before Chuck got married, of course. So that, was, no, that was very- no,
3: no, it wasn't. <laughs> Every, it was. I'm not even gonna front. Everybody knows I get drunk and I get inappropriate. That is all there is to it. Everybody knows. So, that. So, I, go ahead. No, you go. You go ahead. No, nah, I'm I'm just saying, like it's 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 a well known fact. You know, I'm a respectful guy and uh, I've been married for it'll be twenty four years. Come this August, and um, you know I, I can say I don't uh, I don't mess around on my wife. But I will say this: when I get drunk, um, my my penis. Um, I I I I'm a very good drinker. My penis is not. My penis can't handle the liquor. See, I'm a good drinker. I can drink, and I'm. Fine, I'm sociable. I don't get mean and ugly. You know, some people just like I never liked you. You know, your wife, let me tell you about you. You know, they have a couple drinks and they just go straight asshole on you. That's not yeah. me. I drink and I'm I'm having a good time and I'm a sociable guy. I got one problem. I become extremely inappropriate sexually. And and you know, so it's it's not it's not it's not a it's not a fun thing. So there are probably many waitresses you have known me for quite some time, been in the clubs watching me for very many years. And I'm sure there's a couple waitresses that are just like, oh, my God, Chuck Nice just said something that was so wrong. <laughs> so, well, you know, and all I, and all, I told my wife, my wife said to me, when's your Me Too moment coming? Because I know it's coming. I was like, I don't know when it's coming, but whatever she says is true. It happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say something. You know, as someone who's known you for a very long time, you know, you've always been—I uh, wouldn't say you've been inappropriate. you have you've, you if any any inappropriateness you've shown has been more on the cutesy, delightful, harmless side. Let's just put it that way. You know, you're just—you're just being Chuck. You know, you're just having fun, enjoying yourself. Yeah. But my question, my question is this though, right? Because the Me Too thing is an interesting thing to bring up in the context of, will anyone, is that now officially over with this pandemic? Are people now going to be like, almost like, okay, you know what, God, how do I say this in a delicate way? Because you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the Me Too movement is a necessary movement in terms of some of the crazy fucking shit that's happened, like the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and, things of that nature where people are abusing their power. But it did get a little, it went a little overdrive with some of the little, with some things that may have been questionable, right? Those kind of gray area type things, if you will. You think now, because I got a text from a comic um, who is very uh, anti-PC. And when all this stuff happened, he goes, he goes, yeah, you think anyone gives a shit now about any of that stuff? You know, um, and I'm not trying to be insensitive because we as a comedy club are very, you know, cautious about that stuff. I mean, look, me personally, man. When I'm in a comedy club, if I'm in our green room alone with a female comic, I do I leave unless I know her really, really well. If I don't know the girl, because there's always these young girls and young comics hanging around, I get
3: up and, and I bounce. And, I, and but if you but if you but if you know her, then you fondle the shit out of her. No, if I know
1: her. I stay. <laughs> and uh, hey, man, that's how I got my wife. No, but. Uh, <laughs> But do you think this pandemic is kind of readjusting some some priorities? Do you think do you think like do you think someone like a Louis, for example, is gonna is, is almost like that's gonna get glossed over? Or when God, you know, God willing we all get back, is the nah. visceralness of it all still gonna be there, you think?
3: Oh yeah. It's gonna be worse. It's gonna be worse because people will have uh, spent all this time alone without having without anyone to be angry at. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, it's just going to be more pent up anger uh, uh, coming out. Listen, the Me Too thing is very necessary. I think, you know, the Joe Biden thing is showing people that we can go a little far with it because, you know, the mistake was not the Me Too. The mistake was this whole believe the victim. That was... And and I'm going to get crap for saying this. People are going to come down, to me, you know, and, and you know what? I don't care, okay? I don't know who you are, but I don't care about what you think about what I'm about to say. Believe the victim is antithetical to our system of jurisprudence in America. Our system is set up that you are innocent until proven guilty. If I then turn around and say the believe the victim, I have to make you guilty until you can prove you're innocent. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. I'm sorry, it's just not the way it's supposed to work. So it shouldn't have been believe the victim. It should have been take the victim seriously. That should have been the movement. The movement should have been take the victim seriously. Okay? Not because when you say believe the victim, you are automatically discounting the possibility. I am not saying that this is what is happening. The possibility of cray. Okay? Sometimes shit is cray. Okay? It's like, yeah, so uh, Lisa said that I did this, right? And her friends will say, oh, that bitch is crazy. (laughs) Her friends (laughs) will tell you. Yeah. So, um, so you can't say, believe the victim. You got to say, take the victim seriously. And that means any allegation is taken seriously, but then it's got to be investigated. It's taken seriously, but you can't just say, you know, all right, cancel culture. You're fired. You're, you don't have a show anymore. This one can't do this anymore. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Chuck, unfortunately you're absolutely correct. And, um, you know, it's odd that it's, you know, this podcast is three guys talking about the situation, but unfortunately you're absolutely correct. It should have been listen to the victim. You know, it started off in a great idea. The concept was great because a lot of times it was like, no one will believe me. No one will listen to me. I'm just going to never tell anybody. And that is an issue. That's a problem. And that's what the movement was originally for. And I'm glad it happened. But then as, Everything in our world, the pendulum swings from one far end to the other far end and it turns into believe, believe, believe. And then it's like, well, it's not everything's white or black. You know, there's a lot of gray area. The truth lies in the middle. I say that often on this podcast. And, you know, you're you're, you're right. You know, it's, you know, listen. You know, if if someone says this, you know, you have to listen to them and be like, okay, well, then let's get down to the bottom of it. But unfortunately, it you know, everyone wants to get immediately offended or immediately defensive. And it's always me versus you, you versus me. It's like, well, there's probably truth in the middle and we should listen. All of us who weren't there should listen. What do you have to say? I will take your, take your side, take your side. And as a logical human being, I will come up with a, uh, you know, a rational idea of what actually happened. But, you know, like most things in this world, uh, the pendulum swings far left, far right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that we're in this circumstance where we've made it so that women are in a position where we have to have a movement where people say, believe the victim. That's unfortunate. That's, you know, that's a travesty because that that's where the problem is. So, but you know, The answer to that can't be 33 years later. You come out and say that 33 years ago at the office party, you know, I finger popped you and I'm and I'm like, I don't even what are you talking about? I don't remember last Tuesday. (laughs) I am drunk all the time. (laughs) I am always drunk, and you are bringing up an office party from 33 years ago, and I now have to be responsible. Where were, where were you for the last 33 years? Okay. I'm, see, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm not talking about this, you know, like on a college campus, guy goes out. And don't get me wrong. So, speaking on this, let, so that people can understand where I'm coming from, I am a feminist. And I'm a victim advocate. Okay. Both those things I say proudly. And, you know, there's a lot of guys when you say that, they're like, oh, man. Listen, I don't have to say those things. I have a wife. Okay. I am too old to try to impress women. No one, I am invisible. Okay. I am a 46 year old black man. No woman wants me so (laughs) it's not a big deal Uh, i don't have to i don't have to be politically correct i'm a feminist i'm a victim's advocate okay but that being said you can't live in a society where people can just make accusations and then the follow-up to that accusation is punishment that's ridiculous This is what happens with black people when people call the cops and then the black person ends up getting shot. Okay, it's like, damn. I mean, you know, you called the cops. Somebody called the cops and said there's a black man running down the street and then a cop shows up and shoot him. That's everybody knows that's wrong. It's just as wrong for somebody to accuse you of something and then for you to be punished for the accusation.
1: Well, you know, and I guess that's why I kind of brought it up at the beginning, was just that you know, if anything can come of of what we're dealing with, is is maybe and not just the Me Too stuff, but just in general, you know, maybe some more rational thinking can come out of this uh, whole thing. You know, I, think I don't know priorities, man. and you don't think hope, you don't think like I, 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 people I'm, will come out I'm, of this being like, "Fuck!" I just dealt with this crazy this because because Chuck, I. I think we are, oh dude, we're going to be doing this for a while. This is going yep. to be like a year,
3: yeah. two years. Yeah. This is the new normal people get used to it. I, I, you know, it's just like, we, you know, before we went on the air, you were talking about how you and your wife get along and it's been nice to see that you guys get along. Right. Cause you're trapped together. You're both on lockdown. It's nice to see. Wow. Even in lockdown, we get along and like this will expose a lot of things. Okay, that's what's going to happen. It's uh, whatever, wherever you have a problem in your life, it's going to be exposed by this virus. That's why my wife is in a shallow grave in my backyard right now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, you
0: know, before we before we move on, I just want to say, Chuck, uh, you know, I've I've seen you on TV all the all the time, you know, for years. But, you know, the last time I saw you on TV was like couple of weeks ago when i was watching a bill cosby documentary and i just yeah. thought it was pretty interesting with the con- with the conversation that we're currently having
3: <laughs> well you know the funny thing is um that was about con- it's so funny you brought this up man first of all i forgot i did that but secondly what's funny that you brought this up is i just said two days ago to somebody um They were talking about Michael Jackson. And I was like, Michael Jackson is the greatest pop star ever. Period. That's all there is to it. Do you know how I know that? Because I don't have any Michael Jackson records. I don't play any Michael Jackson songs in my house. I have a six, seven. She turned seven today. Today is my daughter's, my youngest daughter's birthday. She's seven years old. She talks about Michael Jackson like he just left the house having lunch. (laughs) okay so that lets me know that a pedophile who's been dead for god knows how many years who has no place whatsoever in my home and my seven-year-old knows who that guy is and actually talks about him like he's alive he's the greatest pop star ever is he a pedophile i'm gonna say yes he was is he still a genius i'm gonna say yes he was You, you know what i mean it's like People think that things are mutually exclusive. you got to kind of divorce, you know, not everything is black and white. Sometimes things are nuanced. So with respect to Bill Cosby, it's funny. I said to somebody just the other day, we were talking about Michael Jackson. I was like, yeah, I'm going to listen to Michael Jackson music for the rest of my life. You know why? Because Michael Jackson is the bomb. And Quincy Jones, along with Michael Jackson, was even better. And I'm going to listen to Bill Cosby if I ever see, because the Cosby show was amazing. That was an amazing show. It still stands up. the test of time today and as far as I'm concerned Heathcliff Huxtable is not a rapist Bill Cosby is a rapist Heathcliff Huxtable is a great dad who lives in Brooklyn (laughs) with all of his with all his interracial kids who for some reason he had with a black woman (laughs) (laughs) you know so I don't know I don't know how two black people had so many interracial kids, but guess what? <laughs> That's who Heathcliff <laughs> Hustable is to me. You know, uh, so M- Mr.
0: Huxtable was, he was a gynecologist and his wife was a defense attorney. I mean, I think he was kind of telling us yes.
3: something back in the eighties, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Man.
3: So yeah, that, um, that biography show, um, they, they, when they called me and asked me to do it, um, they just wanted to, from a comedy standpoint, you know, and I was like, yeah, from a comedy standpoint, you put on any Bill Cosby record, even now, like, you know, um, you're going to see that this guy was a tremendous stand-up comic. People are still doing Bill Cosby jokes today and they don't even know they're doing them there's there's guys in clubs doing Bill Cosby jokes yeah. and they don't even know they're doing them. So, you know, that's, he was a great, he was a great comedian was cause he's not doing it anymore. Great comedian, awful person, awful, mm.
0: awful yeah. person. Great. You know, a lot of great art comes from, you know, awful places. So unfortunately you can't have it both ways.
3: Yeah. I mean, listen, um, from what I understand, you know, Mozart used to fuck kittens that was his thing.
0: <laughs>
3: I never heard that one. Oh,
1: God. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I never heard that one either, Chuck. I'm going to trust you on that one. I'm gonna trust that. I have it on good authority.
3: <laughs> I used to own a cat.
1: Oh, God. What happened to that cat? Is it probably in the grave with your wife? Oh, Jesus. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, man. But um, go ahead. So, Chuck, so so as someone who's on TV a lot, what's it, what's it been
1: like then for, I mean, look, it's become kind of a, a cliche question, but it's impossible not to ask it. What, what's it been like for you being cooped up, not being in a studio? Now everything is done from a computer. You know, what what what's the experience been like for you and now performing on these Zoom platforms as you've done a bunch? You've done it with us. You've done it with, I think, Ray's Club,
2: Aruba Ray's.
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get asked to do it a lot. I don't really do it a lot. I did it for you. I did it for Ray, because you guys, I don't really like doing it, because it's it's tougher than comedy, okay? Like, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, comedy, you feed off that audience, man. I mean, you've seen me in the club, dude. It's like there's something that happens when you get that momentum going and you get the people, and you. you it's almost like you're feeding each other, you know, and... You can get the you can you're it's like you're hyping the crowd and they're hyping you it's like flavor flav in a mirror you know <laughs> it's just like hype back to hype back to hype back to, and it's 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 insane it's great you know and i'm a high energy person so i'm high energy on stage which is a little out of step for like a lot of the comedy that's happening today you know most of the comedy today you know it's guys really trying to be as low-key as possible that's kind of the style of today and, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I'm just going to be who I am. But I'm real high energy. And so when, when I feel the energy from the uh, audience, it really hypes me. And so, you know, I, I get a little over the top. But on, on Zoom, you feel like there's a barrier between you. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult because, you know, it's, you're looking into like a webcam. and that's it, you know, it's not even like a, like on television, you know, I've done enough TV where when I look into the television lens, I don't know, that, that hypes me. It gives me a different feeling. You know, when you're looking at a webcam, I just feel like I should be, you know, masturbating for someone. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, a,
0: that's, that's a very interesting thing to say to me, Chuck, as you're on the zoom as we're looking at each other at a screen yeah. right now. Um, I don't right. know what the answer right now, but it's okay uh, but that's that's an interesting thing that you said about the TV lens because it's like it, it's a different thing though, because when you're good chance that you're talking to a TV lens, you're doing a different uh medium. Like you're not yeah. doing stand-up comedy. You're performing in comedy in another way, where stand-up comedy and what you can never replicate is that live, raw show that can never be duplicated because the audience response to what you're saying on stage. You know, and I think that that is kind of lost in in all this. But you know, we kind of have to make do with what we're doing.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I did uh, my last show. My last show on stage was at the Cellar. And, um, it was, they had started social distancing. Um, as a matter of fact, they were only open one more night and, um, even with the people sitting six feet between tables, um, you still, you, I was still able to get like, there's something that happens. You feel this connection, like you become the connector. Like you feel like one side of the room is pulling one way, the other side of the room is hotter, you know what I mean, and you start doing stuff, and then all of a sudden you feel a click. and like you're getting everybody on the same page and you're like telling the joke, and then like you know you feel the laughter from all sides and you're like, "Oh yeah, I got it i I got this, this is good, and you start doing it and it's and, and it becomes like a dance and it and even with only half the room full it's far more energy than, you know, if somebody's on a, you know, on a, on a, on a, zoom. So, you know, but I, that being said, um, the zoom thing that I did, uh, for New York comedy club, I think it was last Saturday. Um, I got so much feedback on that. People loved it. They thought it was great. And I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Chuck, listen, man, you know, it's, I don't know what
1: it's like on your end of it when you're performing, obviously you're telling us about it. But I'm telling you, man, from my end, and, and and I, you and I have talked about this about your career. How a lot of people don't even realize that you are this like super uh, talented and very highly reputable stand-up comedian. Because so many people know you from, you know, Star Talk Radio, or they know you from TV. And I'm watching you on Zoom, and for I I've probably seen you perform more. I, for you, you're probably the comic I've seen most. In all my life, I don't think I've seen anyone perform more than you, from the days of the Strip to the Days Now New York Comedy Club. And I texted Amy, our Booker, and I, I said this to her. I said, is there, any, "Is there a more underrated comedian than Chuck?" In some fucked-up way, I think you are kind of underrated because you, you do so many different things in so many mediums again, TV, radio, um, live stand-up. And now here I am watching you on Zoom. And it was, I felt like I was watching you at the club, but almost like a different element because you had to almost hear, there was some laughs, sure, but like you had to be so aware of, like, okay, this joke I know is gonna hit in the club. So it's hitting here. And then you riff off of something else. And then you go here. And then you went all these different places. And then you actually was, I see you looking at the chat. So you're kind of trying to see what people are saying. So it's all these different like muscles that you're working. And and I think a big mistake that people are doing with some of these Zoom shows is they're trying to recreate the live experience, which you exactly. cannot do. You can't. You cannot do. You right. have to almost create it in a whole, it, it's a different medium and right. it's totally, you're consuming it differently. So you almost have to embrace it. And yes. I felt like you did. You're sitting there just like you are right now at your desk. You got the microphone, you got the headphones on, you got the glass of wine. And yeah. it was almost like a late night, like, like I'm, oh, just you're hanging out with Chuck Nice, you know? And, and, and again, like, because you weren't like, a, like we have Sherrod doing it this Saturday. And I think we, we have Norman doing it next week. Um, and, and Sherrod especially was like, well, what do I do? Do I do stamp? Do I do this? So I, I go, dude, you just do you. You'll right. figure it out in a minute. Right you're going to be like, oh, okay, I, I right. think I know what to do with this. So yeah. I actually kind of like the zoom stuff only because it's not, it's totally different. So we did this streaming show uh, last week at a theater where we actually did stream comics doing up And I was much more critical of that because that we are trying to recreate something. So yeah. it has to be like, there just has to feel more normal. Whereas the zoom didn't, but I thought you translated very well on it, and I thought that what what I see you. If someone had never seen you live and they saw you do Zoom, and then they saw you live, I think they would feel it would feel kind of like oh cool, like it would feel kind of like similar. If that makes sense, I wouldn't yeah, feel like well, I was because, seeing a completely. Different media.
3: Well, you know the thing is that it's the one thing that I do uh, is so I don't know I don't like I was talking about like the style of comedy nowadays, and I don't have a style of comedy because I've always felt like this is the only thing that I really love doing. And so I just go up there and I'm having a party. (laughs) I am actually, I actually am having a party. People, one guy came to me after this show one time and he was like, yo man, you are like really funny but you got to stop laughing at your own jokes. And I was just like, really? Because I'm funny. You just told me I was funny. So wait, I'm not supposed to find me funny? What am I supposed to do, right? I was like, nah, man, when you see me laughing at my jokes, it's because I just thought that shit up. (laughs) See, I don't stop and tell you, oh my God, I just thought that up right now. I thought that up. And then when I heard myself say it, I actually laughed. You know why? Because I'm having a good time and there are no fucking rules. All right. So don't tell me that you're not supposed to laugh at your own jokes. I don't care what you say I'm supposed to do. I'm going to get up there. Like you said, do you. And like, so the zoom thing, like I was drinking tequila out of the bottle and I'm drinking wine in one hand and swigging tequila. In the other. I'm just going, I'm having fun. I'm just doing whatever I can do to have fun you know and reacting to anything that's happening you know and so you know like that part i did enjoy the part that was tough was um trying to figure out where's the performance Mm -hmm. and and that's that's the tough part you know and so you know what i and i still haven't figured that out I still haven't figured that out. I don't know where the performance is. So you know what? If I ever do another Zoom show, it's gonna—it's probably gonna be different than the Zoom show that I did because I don't know what the performance is. I don't know, but I do know that if I'm having a good time, I'm probably gonna be funny because that's the way things have always worked for me. If I'm having a good time, I'm probably gonna be funny, and so that's what I'll do, you know. But yeah, it was—it was fun, you know. Also, too, I really do enjoy. Drinking while I'm doing comedy—that was that was fun.
1: <laughs> like, just how was that? How was that different from the lion performance? <laughs> <laughs>
3: right? Well, you know, I mean, like, I'm home. I'm home, and I'm drinking, and I'm doing comedy, and 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 working. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's one thing to have a drink before you go on stage or five, which is what my normal thing was, you know. But it's another thing to just be like. Actually, just like, yo, man, what's up? We home. We're in my house. And like, ah, you know, so it was fun. I I, I did enjoy it. Like I said, I did enjoy it. But it's, you know, the it's flying without a net. And where's the performance? It's you don't I don't know where that is. And that feels weird. It feels weird. It's like, but believe it or not, that's how I started doing comedy. I used to go and do comedy and I used to go to the open mics and, you know, you get five minutes and I did a different five minutes every single time I went, no matter, like I always had a new five minutes. And Ralph Harris was a comedian, uh, Keith Robinson, Ralph Harris, those guys. Right. So those are the guys before me. And he said to me, Hey man, you gotta, um, you're a very funny guy. You gotta stop. It's great you're writing, but you got to stop doing all this new stuff. You're never going to get a job. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, um, yeah, they want to see you do the same stuff over and over again because that's when they know that you're funny. They know, Nobody's going to hire you on a Saturday night if you can't kill on a Tuesday and then kill again on Wednesday with the same stuff and then kill again on Thursday with the same stuff. Now I can put you on Saturday. But I can't put you on Saturday if you kill on Tuesday with something, kill on Wednesday with something different, you know, because how do I know that that's just not the audience? i got to know that you, your material and your performance are consistent. And, you know, that's when I really became like, oh, okay, all right, you know. So who who, who, who is your class then? Like you mentioned Keith. You know,
1: I, Keith obviously was a very influential uh, person in the Philly scene because so many, so many great comics come out of Philly, you being yeah. one of them. And I know Keith was a, a a big a big endorser of or proponent of people coming to New York. You know, obviously his influence on Kevin Hart, uh, yeah. his influence on, on guys like you. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm I'm forgetting a lot of other really great comics out of Philly. I mean, obviously a lot of the young cats that we work with, Reg Conquest and Tom Cassie and those guys. But Derek right. Gaines and Monroe are all from Philly. But Uh, I mean, who, who's your class, uh, in Philly that you kind of came up with, or did you come up in Philly? Did you already move?
3: No, I moved. I, I, so I did some time in Philly, like doing like some open mics and stuff like that. And then, um, I came to New York, man, because I was just like, I'm not, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to be here. And it wasn't even me. I was bartending in Philly at the time. And this guy named Lou Vega, which I think is a. It's a, a guy who has a song. His name is, I don't know. But anyway, Lou Vega was this dude who used to come to my bar. And, he, and he, went, he said to me, oh, somebody told me you're a stand-up comedian. And I was like, I am. And he was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yo, man, what's your problem? <laughs> like, clearly you don't want to drink here. Or you <laughs> <laughs> like, you must like the taste of my spit. Or, you know, (laughs) he was like, hey, man, if you want to be a sailor, you got to get on a boat. There's only two places you can live in this country and call yourself a stand up comedian. And that's New York, or L.A. and and commuting to New York is not you're not going to make it commuting to New York. And I moved like, I don't know, within that month because that dude disturbed me so much. He, he made me so
0: angry. <laughs> then he went on to sing Mambo Number no. Five. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, it's
1: uh,
0: I think that was Lou Vega, but you know. Be- yeah, yeah
1: Lou Vega. that's right. Yeah, yeah, L- yeah. Lou
0: Vega sounds like a uh, Tarantino character. But,
1: uh. <laughs> so, so Nick, no, so Nick. I mean, is that the same for you? I mean, you lived out in uh, Pittsburgh. You moved to New York. Was it kind of the similar thing? Like, hey, if you're going to be a stand-up, there's only two places for you to go. Yeah,
0: yeah, because that was about ten years ago. And, you know, when I when I was moving, you know, a lot of the comics in Pittsburgh were telling me and I was I was brand new, fresh. Like I was like a year in and they're like, what are you doing? You're not going to make it in New York. I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm, I wasn't young. So I was like, I got to try. I got to do something. I'm just going to go all in. And they're like, well, you know, with the Internet now with, you know, YouTube, you don't have to leave. You can do you can be a comic anywhere. I'm like, sure. But I don't want to like that's I want to I want to go in and I want to go all in. Well, Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, things, things changed and I got out of the standup aspect of comedy, but, you know, it's because I moved to New York that I'm still in the comedy world, not, not necessarily doing standup, but I'm still, you know, doing, hosting this show, doing some writing and whatever. But yeah, I mean, to Chuck's point is like, you kind of got to rip the bandaid off and go to LA or New York. And if you can, if you can survive in those places, then, you're gonna figure. You're gonna figure something out. You're gonna figure something out, and you either you well, got it or you don't.
1: Is that still gonna? Is that is that is, is that still what people are going to be thinking though? Like, do you think in the next six months, year, do you think co- comedians are going to feel like they still need to come to New York and LA, or is there going to be uh, somehow know, some way for them to not have to?
3: I I think that they're going to be. You know, it's going to be rough to see you. You you pose a really interesting question, and here's why. As we reopen as they call it. Um, You know, we have more clubs here. The great thing about New York is you can, on a Saturday night, there's been times I have done eight spots on a Saturday night, right? You can't do that anyplace else. This is the only place you can do that. And that's a great thing. Now, if all the clubs reopen, even at half capacity, then this is going to be the place to be. If you start seeing clubs like struggling or if people like start saying, well, I don't know if I should go to the comedy club or well, you know, then, you know, I, I think that yeah, I, people might not want to come here. But this is, this is always going to be the place, man. There, there's no better comedians. Now, all right, right now, there's going to be a bunch of people going, shut up. There's some great comedians. Uh, when you take the number of comedians, all of them, And you break them down into New York comedians and everybody else. The New York comedians are the best comedians. They may no longer live in New York, but they're New York comedians. Bill Burr, Bill Burr is a New York comedian. It's where they cut their teeth. Right. It doesn't make a difference that he's, you know, rich and famous and living in L.A. right now. He's a New York comedian. You know, Jerry Seinfeld is a New York comedian still. You know, still to this day, a New York comedian, David Spade, L.A. comedian. That's why he's not funny. <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking. I'm joking.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, my, my opinion is that, you know, stages or not, no stages. Listen, whether if the stages, if, if the stages struggle to come back in New York, it's going to struggle everywhere. You know, yeah. in my view. And I think creativity is still born in, in a place like New York. So whether there's a stage or not for a little bit, I think if I think you're still going to see comics, uh, want to comics still come here because the reality is comedians and a lot of the comics I've talked to, the real ride or die ones, they're staying in New York and we're going to figure this whole thing out together. And I think people want to be part of that think tank. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, there's cops living in, you know, Pittsburgh right now and there's Philly comics right now that that you know, six months from now, eight months from now, three months from now, still might make the jump here just to be part of whatever this new process may be. Because I think it could be an opportunity for people, and I'm viewing this whole thing, Chuck, as an opportunity for us to I know you are. reinvent and reimagine. How do we reinvent ourselves while, while maybe everyone else is licking their wombs a bit? And the reality is New York is going through the shitter right now, but we're going to kind of be ahead of this. I think we're ahead of this more so than other places, which kind of sucks. But, like, I still think while we're kind of on the mend, other places are going to be really rampant. And it might force people to come here. might even force them to come here even more so. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Well, this no, is, yeah.
0: But, this is kind of how I'm thinking. And this kind of ties everything together. So, Chuck, you're saying when you're doing the Zoom show, you can't find the performance. And you're right. Because I've watched some Zoom shows and I'm just thinking, you know, I understand you're in front of your computer, but, you know, how about a little bit of showmanship, please? Like you are performing. Can you put on a little bit of showmanship? I'm not saying go out, go crazy, but, you know, act as if. And I think what's happening is I think there are a lot of comics are going to learn a new muscle that is Zoom funny. And I think comedy was already kind of trending in this direction with your TikToks. Or what a couple years ago, we were calling Vine comics, you know, yeah. Comed- yeah, they're funny. Listen, look, look, they're funny, but they're not stand up funny. They're not stand ups, right. That's going to be the king for a while as right. this is all happening. But then once we start to slowly reopen, stand ups going to come back, which is the ultimate form of comedy. And the best of the best are going to emerge. The, everybody else is going to fall to the wayside, and it's going to be—it's almost going to be a resurgence of stand-up comedy, and the week are going to fall. And I'm looking forward to that. Unfortunately, it might not happen as quickly as I would like, but I think this is going to be—you know, like for instance, like you said, Chuck, you're doing—you're doing the show, and you're like, I don't—where's my performance? I'm just kind of hanging out. Well, this is great. If I'm a Chuck Nice fan, if I'm a Sharad Small fan, if I'm a Mark Norman fan, and I watch them just be funny on, on live on Zoom, it's great. I love it. But if you're an unknown comic, you got to come up with something. And this is where this new muscle is going to be created. That's not going to translate on stage in front of a live audience. And we're going to see that whenever we reopen. And I think that's going to, like I said, it's going to make the best of the best. You know, the cream will rise to the top when we reopen. And you're going to see some really, really good stand-up comics.
3: So I'll tell you this, man. Everything you said is 100% correct. And I love the way you put it, like the Zoom muscle. <clears throat> and bringing in, like, the Vine comics. I remember people hating on them and, like, they're, these hacks. And I'm like, these guys are – they're not hacks. They're, they're, taking, they're taking, like, jokes and culling them down into 15-second little chunks, and they're making them funny. Like, there's a talent there. There's mm-hmm. a talent there, okay? So – but the funny thing that you say – maybe I shouldn't even be saying this, you know, publicly, but the Zoom thing is going to happen from clubs when we reopen. It's going to have to. You're going to have to live stream from the club and live stream in such a way that the comedian is interactive with the people at home because, one, people are going to start getting conditioned to doing this. Two, people always want comedy, and some people are going to be afraid to come out. And so the adaptation is going to have to be, how do I find that hybrid? I'm on stage. You're at home. That guy's right here with me. How do I make that work? That's what I'm thinking about right now. That's, that's where my head is right now. Like, what am I going to do to make that thing happen in August? Because, like, September, we're going to be thinking like that. You know, you know. people are going to be like, well, I want to go out. You know, oh, well, you know what? But, you know, yeah, I can go to a comedy club, but we're going to be sitting so many feet apart but then again, some people are going to be like, no, nah, I'm not going. And it's like, yeah, well, you're still invited. You're still you still come to the club.
0: Well, check you know? if I can do if I can uh, do a callback from something we were talking about earlier. You know, it's the pendulum, you know, far left is staying at home. Far right is going to the to the club itself. And the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. And that's going to be what you just said, you know, live streaming a, a Zoom show at a comedy club where there is only 20 people in the audience. So you still get that live performance, but fortunately you're not going to have thousands of tourists coming in, spending their hard earned money at the comedy clubs, you know? Yeah.
3: But, but think about it. It gives you the opportunity to be nationwide in one single club. Absolutely. See, now it used to be that you had to be, you know, franchised and you had to scale up, you know, you had to be like Bud Freeman. You have to get your improvs open all over the country. You know what I mean? Right now, New York comedy club with their locations, right up, you know, you got New York, New York, Fairfield, the Atlantic City, right? You might be able to take that and go nationwide. Straight up nationwide. I got four clubs, I'm nationwide. You know what I mean? And that, that so, might be, that might be the vibe.
1: So if you are do you, are you have you been more optimistic throughout this whole thing or more pessimistic? Like where's nah, your head at with
3: that? Nah, man. I'm I'm listen. Here's the deal. I remember um, when I first wanted to be a stand-up comedian back um 90s like when i was like this is what i'm gonna do right um uh people were like comedy is dead <laughs> because the, you know the 80s were the big comedy thing you know yeah,
1: the 90s was rough early night the whole
3: 90s was kind of rough the 90s right? sucked for comedy yeah. All of it.
0: Yeah, uh, everything, everybody who was popular in the 80s or early 90s turned it into a sitcom, and then the right. st- aspect
3: and aspect died. By, by the way, by the way, that was the whole idea. The, the, dude, I know people, and I know guys right now, and I wish I was one of them, to be honest. I wish I had done it, because they're, they're very wealthy right now. They're in L.A., and they're doing very well. But I never wanted a sitcom. I always wanted a talk show. That was my thing. You know, I wanted a syndicated talk show. I wanted to be the the black guy in like, like daytime <laughs> and have a syndicated talk show talking to housewives. Cause you know, I mean, look at me, shit. I mean, if, if Carlton had a father, it would be me. You know what I mean? Let's, let's be honest. All right. Let's be honest. All right. It's, and yeah, it's
1: still so going to happen, Chuck. It's still going to happen
3: though. Yeah. Well,
1: you're 46, kiddo. You ain't 86. That's true, that's true. Yo, if Steve fucking Harvey has a daytime talk show.
3: How did that happen? I'm I like, don't mean
1: to bring up Steve Harvey, but damn. you know, he has a fuck. God damn it. Steve I, Harvey I,
3: has he has jobs. Yeah, he has every job. Is he is he Jamaican? Because I he's got, got jobs. <laughs> dude, dude, it's like it's like the business said, like, we need a black guy. And like Steve Harvey at was somewhere in every meeting going. <laughs> How
1: about Steve Harvey?
3: <laughs> yeah, he's waving his hand. Yeah, like like the whole industry said, we need a black guy, and he just happened to be at every single meeting. I, I'm here. Hi.
0: <laughs> he keeps showing up to all these casting meetings with just a different yeah. size mustache and, then, oh, that's somebody new.
1: There we yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. But Chuck, I, so, but, but Chuck, I didn't mean to say, yeah, so the 90s, it was dead oh, too, Oh, sorry, right? but,
3: yeah, so the 90s were dead, and I got to tell you, people were like, bro, you're crazy. Like, why would you want to do this? Like, you're moving to New York. You're moving to New York to become a stand-up comic at a time where clubs are closing. Clubs are closing. And I and, and all I could say was there, there is nothing better than people getting together and laughing nothing you I mean sex okay and and honestly the only way sex is bad is if someone's laughing at you while you're doing (laughs) it so so you other than that other than that there's nothing better than people getting together and laughing and so think of when you get together and laugh just think about it outside of a comedy club think about it when you get together and laugh you're with friends right you're with family right You're at a special event, birthday, anniversary, something like that, okay? You're at a reunion of people that you love or care about, and you guys are sitting around, you're drinking, you're laughing, right? And then there's this place where you can do that. You ain't got to know nobody. You just walk the fuck in, and you have that same experience. That's never going away. Mm -hmm. I'm always optimistic about comedy. That is never going away. You are never going to replace that. You can't. And, you know, there's
0: something to be said, too. And this could, you know, this might derail us a little bit. So, you know, just real quick. There's something cathartic and almost, you know, socially uh, acceptable when you're in a room full of strangers and you're all laughing at something that you know you shouldn't be laughing at. You know, it's a topic that is. Otherwise, you can't laugh at it in the workplace because that would be offensive. But in the comedy club, you're allowed to laugh at it. And it's up to the comedian to, you know, make it funny. And you all laugh at that. And it's almost like it provides awareness to be like, hey, look, remember that part where we all laughed at that? We know we shouldn't laugh at that. Well, we now know that that's a serious topic and we shouldn't laugh at that. But boy, was it fun when we did. And now you're more aware of that topic. And, you know, I don't know if I'm making any sense there but you know if it's just it's just something that it makes people come together and in you know appreciate each other's differences and understand people's struggles in a fun way and i think that will never i hope that never goes away i know people are trying to you know they get cancel culture happy and as soon as you suggest something that's borderline offensive it's no 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 but no like talk it out say it out loud laugh at it now we know it's there and now we can fix it
3: and then, uh, listen, here's the thing. A lot. We live in a sensitive society, and I think that part of that is good. I don't want to get too into this, but part of it is good because it means that we are becoming more compassionate as a society. We're caring about people more, and I think that's great. But we also can't be, you know, silly about it. And I, and I say silly like, all right, I, I used to do I, – I have a cousin, and now – Tony is his name, and everybody in the family called Tony retarded because that was the word that described people who were severely developmentally disabled at that time. Retard means to slow. So retarded was like, oh, his growth, his capabilities have been slowed, and that's all it meant. And then it took on a negative commentation because people started calling other people retards. And so I get it, but it's like if somebody tells a joke now and uses the word, they get attacked, but nobody listened to the joke. The joke might have been a joke of advocacy. The joke might have been, and if it's funny, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care. And, you know, you're talking about a family member, but I don't care as long as it's funny. You know, but all I can say is the great thing about inappropriate comedy is that it makes people think and it opens up a discussion. And so. Absolutely. We should I, allow that to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, you know, like I said, I don't want to I don't want to get too much into this. There is something uh, I want to bring up with you. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, it just you know allows people to realize what's going on in the world. If you could have some fun while bringing it up. You know, then we're all better off. But you know, that's this is a whole other topic that could you know lead us down a three-hour conversation. Um, yeah. what I want to kind of veer off to, Chuck, is that you mentioned earlier that uh, today is your daughter's birthday. Happy birthday to your daughter! Yes, and, uh, my little baby.
3: Your seven new, uh, years old.
0: your brand new album is uh, aptly named uh, "Uncomfortably Hot Dad." So i want to, I want to talk about that. you recorded that at the New York comedy Club on Fourth street i believe
3: i did uh, uh so how uh,
0: how's the how's the album moving? It came out in what march
3: came out March seventeenth which seems
0: like uh got it thir- Does't that years seem ago.
3: like five yeah it seems like so long ago um from what I understand it's it's doing well you know people people are responding to it and they like it. um my take on parenting is a little different, I mean. I love my children. Don't get me. And, you know, my whole thing is about, I don't like them and how, how much, you know, how what an incredible pain in the ass. They, <laughs> and, and, and let's be honest. Um, everybody talks about their children in such a way that it makes you want to have children. <laughs> That's how they talk about their children. Well, I'm the opposite. I talk about, I talk about children for what they are. Don't listen there's a love that God gives you for your children that is so great. And I think that's what people want to experience. They don't want to have that love come to them. They want to experience the insanity of loving someone unconditionally. Like there's nothing this person can do that will make me not love them. And all I can tell you is that is a great feeling that will ruin your fucking life. <laughs> Just know that. <laughs> Just know that having children, no one will tell you the truth. The truth is they ruin your life. But in return, God gives you this love, this experience of love that is so incredible that it's almost, almost worth these people ruining your life. <laughs> and that's really like that. To me, that's what parenting is. You know, now that, you know, it's it's so funny because one of my favorite things in the world, I was at the park. See, I'm at the park all the time because, you know, I'm, I'm the home dad. You know what I mean? So for me, going to the park when we were allowed to go to the park, that was that was no big deal. And I never went on Saturdays because I hated it because it was so crowded and it was daddy time. So Saturday is when you see all the dads at the park. And one time I went on a Saturday, and of course it's all the dads, and there's this one guy on his phone pushing his kid on a swing, not looking at the (laughs) kid at all, not looking at the kid at all, just pushing the kid on the swing and looking at his phone. And I was like, oh, my God, if there was only a way I could go over there and switch out these fucking kids right now. Like... (laughs) That would have like my that's all I could think was like, oh, my God, if there was only a way I could get over there and like take his beautiful little white baby off that swing and like <laughs> switch it with a little black kid. Right. <laughs> so that way he looks up from the phone <laughs> but, because like these guys, you see them, you can see that they're they, it, that's when it hits. That's when it hits them. It's like, damn, this is tough. Like I got to all. Day, and and that's just one day. They're only with the kid one day. Like, you know, you got to do that. That's seven days a week. It's no, I am. I say, you know, parenting is not for everybody. And we should probably have half half the amount of people we have in the world. Well,
1: we're getting in there,
3: Chuck. <laughs> there. Well, in, in that case, let's just
1: reopen. What we're we doing, <laughs> right? Fuck.
3: Oh, that's messed up. I love liberate. it. Liberate.
1: <laughs> uh, that's right. As the idiot, idiot in chief said, just liberate, right? Yeah, fucking. Yeah. Let's all just fucking. Let's take care of that population.
3: How many kids do you have, Chuck? Four? Three? I got three. I got three. Which, and yeah. your oldest is... I mean, I got I got three from my marriage. <laughs> yeah, that you're aware of. Yeah, and, uh, then I, and then I have my old dirty bastard kids. That's the other... But you, you the oldest is what, 17, 18? Uh, no, she, she's, she's 19.
1: He's not... 19-year-old yeah. daughter. So you have a,
3: a boy and two girls. So I got a... No, I got a 19-year-old daughter. I got a 14-year-old son, and I got a 7-year-old daughter.
1: Two girls, one boy. Now you're a 19-year-old, I mean, like, she's gotta look at you like a cool dad, right? No.
3: (laughs) No, TV
1: TV personality, radio,
3: comic. First of all.
1: Come on, man. She's gotta be like my dad's a shit.
3: Nope. No, it's just the opposite, man. It's you know why? Because it's like they don't want, they don't want you to be a part of their identity. So she she went to school in Drexel, you know, when they still had this thing called college and campuses and stuff. So she was going to Drexel University. So on move in day, I, of course, um, we get in the car, you know, we got the refrigerator in the trunk and all the, you know, and I'm moving her into the dorm room. And they have these uh, these young men, you know, that are there to help you move in like volunteers. The R.A.'s. yeah. And I'm just Resident like, assistants. right. And I'm like, Hey guys, what's happening? I was like, Hey, you, you guys mind getting this stuff up? You know? And so the one guy, he goes, man, your voice sounds familiar. And you know, and then this other kid comes over and he goes, uh, Oh my God, are you a comedian? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so then I, I see my daughter as I look up and I'm now by this time, So one guy goes, yeah, that's The other friend goes, that is a a comedian. I knew it was him. And then this other guy goes, yeah, man, that's Chuck Nice. He does this show called Star Talk. So now I got four college students. And all I said was, hey, you guys mind helping me with this? And I'm talking to them. And I look up, and I just see my daughter walking away. (laughs) <laughs> just walking away. like I, that guys, I don't know him. I don't want crap to do with him. Uh, you know, and she just, just walking away. I I have no idea where she was going and neither <laughs> did she, but she was like, I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be around like, Oh, your father is such and such. So
0: she's yes. over there standing in line for the mega bus. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's, not to sound like a creep Chuck, but next time
1: she's able to go back to school, I, I'll come with you and help. Help oh, her move boy. in. I, you know, I have no issues with seeing what the campus is like at Drexel.
3: Oh uh, Yeah, you're all good, man. That you be my guest. <laughs> Chuck and I will find that one bar on campus.
1: You're damn right. <laughs> It'd be uh, so fun to didn't I see your father drunk? <laughs> and, the there was some, and there was some guy trying to sell tickets to it. Exactly. <laughs> some dude was doing some weird 4 for 20 deal. You know, uh, cafeteria. Funny. That's Your daughter's so
0: going to go to a, she's going to go to a party and then we're going to be in the corner doing keg stands and we'll go, Hey, Hey honey.
3: But yeah, man, it's, um. listen, I love being a father. Uh, I got to admit it's, it's, it's great. Um, I wish I was rich. I wish I had known how much they cost. <laughs> I wish somebody had told me how much they really cost. And uh you know, other than that, uh, that's why, you know, when I see people with nannies, I'm like, you are so cheating. You are so cheating right now, you know, yeah. because yeah, I'd have eight kids if I could have like two nannies. Yeah, man, you know? that's like
1: going, that's like going yeah. to the gym and, and, and going straight to, like, the smoothie bar and not even working out. Like, right. that, at the gym, <laughs> to really work out? Yeah,
3: exactly. I went to the gym today, yeah, and I had a wonderful smoothie, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I got two nannies. I know people. I'm like, yeah, if I, I'd have eight children if I had two nannies. I mean, four of them would be from the two nannies, but still. <laughs>
1: <I'm-> <laughs> and, and, Chuck, before we, uh, before we get out of here, what, what kind of cool shit are you working on during this whole thing? I'm sure you got a couple projects on the hook. What you, uh, you
3: know, what you got? Um, well, please go get Uncomfortably Hot Dad. Anybody who's listening, you know, download the album or buy it or steal it. Wherever, wherever you steal your music. I don't know how it works anymore. Um, but uh, I have a podcast called Not So Nice Advice where I take advice columns. I read them. I tell you why the advice sucks and then I give you my answer. Uh, so Not So Nice Advice is my podcast. Uh, and I do three other podcasts with other people, but you know, they're science podcasts. I mean, you know, people probably already know me from them because they're very popular podcasts, but you know, not so nice advice. I really appreciate it. If people would, you know, support my podcast, man. Cause you know, uh, it's the only place where I get to talk like I talk to you guys, you know, most of what I do is science oriented. Now I do a lot of science stuff. Which- yeah. I was going to say, I mean, you do stuff with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So do people yeah.
1: ever think that you are, uh, that you are now a scientist or people are to you with any question, you you know, questions regarding that stuff or you have to be like, dude, I'm a comic. And that's talking, exactly
3: though. what happens. Emilio, you just said it. That's it. People come to me and they're just like, so dark matter, do you really <laughs> think that? And I'm just like, I tell dick jokes, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's <laughs> like, don't, don't like, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm pretty scientifically literate in terms of like being a fan of science and reading for, for my own pleasure. But I can't sit down and talk to you about, you know, uh, you know, wh- whatever the Hubble is finding and, you know, red shifting and, all, you know, that's, that, you know, these guys, are, they went to school for that. You know, that's, that's, that's not me. But people still ask me, you know, questions about that. And, you know, I'm flattered, but I don't know anything. I'm going to be honest.
1: <laughs> well, it is funny because I remember, uh, you know, Dr. Drew, right? Uh, I yeah. Years ago, him and Adam Corolla, because Corolla used to do that show with him. Right. This was before I even was, you know, this was when I was a kid. So, you know, I didn't know the difference of what a comic was, what wasn't stand-up. So, I, you know, I could totally see how sometimes people make that mistake. What cracks me up, though, is when people make the mistake of going to a live comedy show, they watch the host, right? There's a host. you got your stand-up comics. And after the show, people will go up to the host, and they'll be like, you were so funny. When, why, why aren't you a comic? Comedy? When are you going to start? When are you going to start doing comedy? Like, that always cracks me up. That's, so I, I, yeah, that, that I don't get, I don't get. how that, people.
3: That that's that. my favorite. So God rest his soul, Vic Henley, uh, a professional comedian, extraordinaire, unfortunately passed away the first week of the lockdown. Um, and uh, he used to do a lot of hosting in, in, in the city. And people used to come up to him and be like, you might've been the best comedian tonight. huh?" When are you going to start this? this, And It's like, dude, everybody you saw on the show is a headliner. Every single person you saw tonight is a headliner, including the host. He's just the host. So that's how it works, people. If you're in New York and you're seeing somebody on a Saturday night, you're seeing a really good stand-up comedian because there are no less than 7,000 other comedians Sitting at home, wanting to be on the stage where you are watching the comedians work. That's that's how this works. You know, key
1: word, the key words there, Chuck, are New York, because that ain't the case in like South Dakota.
3: No, it ain't the case in, in, You're in the Dayton, one of those no, places. No, the headliner no. is probably a headliner. Right but that yeah, hopes, no, the headliner is the headliner. There's finding someone to go up there and just fucking. Right. in. And in Dayton, Ohio, the waiter comes up and does the MC. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, you gotta get
0: stage time somehow.
3: Yeah. So. But no, New York is what I'm talking about. So well, that
0: was, um, that was very, very well put Chuck. And, uh, I was gonna bring up um, black holes and supernovas, but we're gonna skip over that.
3: So uh, That'll be the name of my next album, Black Holes and Supernovas. <laughs> dark it should be Dark Matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? You just you just named my next album. Boom. Chuck Chuck Nice, Dark Matters. Yep. Yeah, so that's just matter. dark matter. Dark matters. That's right. Nailed it. There it is. This is there what we is. this is what we
0: do, Emilio. See that?
1: There it oh. is. Well, well, you know, I'm just happy. Listen, if if one good thing comes out of this whole quarantine is we've been trying to have Chuck on the pod for a while. Uh, not not for the lack of Chuck not wanting to do it. Mr. Nice is a busy guy. So I'm happy we got to have you on. Um, you know, Chuck, uh, again, not to get too gushy over here, but you're one of my all time favorite people. You're the go to guy, man. If, if we need someone to murder at a New Year's event, Chuck nice. We, if we get a, a private event inquiry, Chuck nice. If we need some weird, if we're doing some weird thing that we're not really sure how it's going to work, but we know we need someone who's going to smash it, you call Chuck. So, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're greatly appreciated, uh, in, in our world. And, and I mean, you're one of the best out there, man. You really are. You know, nice. everyone that comes to a show and sees you, they see. Ch- I mean, you're one of the. You really. You're one of the few guys, and I think it's because of how you approach stand-up that you are not just like you know reading off your material in your head. That you're doing a lot of you know different things with the audience, and everything is very not everything, but so much of it is off the cuff and impromptu. And the fact that you're laughing at your own stuff, you, you really it is like watching you for the first time every time. There are very few comedians that you can watch over and over again and not get sick of them, and you're one of those few. So. um, Thanks a lot, I appreciate man. Doing the podcast, I appreciate doing the Zoom show. I appreciate doing the New Year shows in Fairfield, and I appreciate doing them in New York. And I appreciate you doing all this stuff um, when we throw them your way. You're 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 a pro, man. You you are you're one of the best.
3: I love it, man. I love you too, man. That's that's the deal, man. You know we go way back. So, and New York Comedy Club is like you know one of the best clubs in the country, and you know that's because you guys have done such a wonderful job. And you know I remember when the place was a you know. A, a shithole. Let's <laughs> put nicely. I remember when it was a shithole club. Okay. And um, no, man. Um, you guys do a fantastic job. And now it's like a premier club in the city. So it's it's really cool to be to have been there from the beginning, you know, and be a part I,
1: of it. I appreciate it. well, you know what? Before we go though, Nick, I know I'm sorry, I always do this. I gotta tell one quick Chuck story. It's my favorite Chuck story. One Uh-oh. of my favorite stories. So my grandfather, um, he had like the most dope swag from like the seventies. He had these cool jackets and hats and just all this, all this like really like super fly type stuff. And when he passed away, you know, my grandmother gave me like all of his stuff and you know, it was a little shorter on me, but, uh, but it fit, it fit well enough. Again, this one leather jacket that Ankara used to just hated me wearing it. She's like, I don't know why I got to wear that. Like, I don't know who you think you are. You're not that cool. Like blah, blah. It's not even that cool of a jacket. Like always gives me grief about it. And we're at the comic strip. This is before we uh, took over New York when we were still promoting there. And I got the jacket on. And our car again is in my ear about it. And Chuck comes walking by. And Chuck stops. He looks at me and goes, Yo, man, where's, that jacket's amazing. He's like, I have a shoot tomorrow morning. <laughs> Okay, for something he was doing for like CBS or something. And it was, it was a show or movie. He's like, I'm doing this movie or the show. And can I wear that jacket? Can I borrow that jacket? I look at it, The whole time I'm looking at it on car. I'm like, yeah, of course, Chuck. I, <laughs> it to Chuck.
3: I remember I that. It
1: car, and I'm like, if Chuck fucking nice. And this was before we were we were always close. But I've yes. like, known you a few years. Now I've known you for like a decade. Uh, over a decade. I was like, if Chuck fucking thinks this jacket's cool, then it, 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 I, I just won this argument, basically. No, That's I remember. I like, it,
3: it, it was a wine colored, leather, double breasted jacket. Oh, and it was, nothing to, it was dope. Yo, she it, had it, nothing to say after that. I still got the thing. She sees
1: it, and I'm like, you know, I kind of dangle from her. But uh, it's one of the few times that I can actually even get uh, my very uh, lovely yet stubborn uh, wife to admit that maybe I was right <laughs> still fights me on it but you gave me some credibility on that jacket so I'm I'm in debt for you over that
3: that's cool I'm glad to take the bullet
1: <laughs>
0: I think we're gonna I think we're gonna start a new podcast it's gonna be called wrapping up with Emilio and it's gonna be two hours long
1: <laughs> so this is but dude, this is this is how the Italians do it, man. Yeah, the Italians say goodbye. Can never, get, can times.
0: never get out of the door. It's just, <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta tell you. this. <laughs> all
1: right, that's it. I'm but done.
0: anyways, Chuck, thanks for coming by, man. We really appreciate it. Make sure you go get the album "Uncomfortably Hot," Dad, and check out the podcast "Not So Nice Advice" with Chuck Nice, that's where right. you can get all your podcasts. Uh, Chuck, thanks again. Uh, stay safe, buddy, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch.
3: All right, guys, thanks a lot. You're the man, Chuck
0: thanks for listening to the new york comedy club podcast make sure you like subscribe share and leave a comment and for tickets to the club check out newyorkcomedyclub.com